Actually, we want to continue studying abiding in Christ. And uh, we're talking about abiding in his perspective. And we're going to, and this perspective concerns salvation. And that's one of the things we need to be thankful for is our salvation. Uh, and tonight we're going to talk about abiding in his perspective on salvation. As I said last time, we're going to, we're leaving John 15 and looking at some other scriptures that teach us about abiding in Christ. Uh, and so here in Romans 8, beginning in verse uh, 28, uh, familiar verses, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now, uh, no doubt most, if not all of us here tonight, would have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I would hope we all do. Uh, if not, uh, that's something I trust the Lord will work in our hearts uh, to, to bring us to that point. But there has to be a point in time when we placed our faith in the glorious gospel and trusted Christ to be our Lord and Savior. And God's plan of salvation is that, uh, that which leads to a lifelong purpose of conforming us to the image of God uh, through daily sanctification, and really that's the theme of the study tonight. Now, I trust that uh, this evening uh, you can say with me uh, that the greatest privilege in our lives is coming to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Amen. Now, I can look back on the day uh, when I accepted him with joy and gratitude. Uh, now, although I may not have known everything about God from the Bible at that point, uh, and uh, yet I realized the purpose of my salvation. Uh, my greatest concern, of course, was that my sins be forgiven. Uh, even as a nine-year-old boy, I realized that I was a sinner and that my sins needed to be forgiven. And when I was confronted with the gospel, I received enough information to make that decision, which was the best decision I've ever made. Now, no doubt your reasons for accepting Christ are very dear to you as well. Uh, you realize that you were a sinner destined for hell, and God uh, had provided a way of escape through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, and he cho you chose to believe in him for salvation, receive that gift of eternal life. And now, if that is not the case, again, we would certainly hope, you, if you've never trusted Christ, Perhaps you're trusting good works for salvation or someone else or something else, but I hope that you'll consider what we're talking about this evening. So let's, first of all, uh, we're talking about the gift of God is eternal life. And we want to notice, first of all, the purpose of salvation. Now, in the previous studies, we discovered God's purpose for believers is to bear fruit. Uh, both the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of winning souls. And we want to turn our focus to God's purpose of transformation in our lives. 
you know uh, why you asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior. You know that. But have you ever wondered about the long-term plan uh, for your life? Notice again, uh, Romans 8.28 there. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to, notice the last phrase there, to his purpose. Uh, do you know that purpose uh, in your life? Uh, look at verse 29 again. Uh, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So the first thing we talk about in the purpose of salvation is to be conformed to the image of Christ. You're redeemed unto God so that he will uh, accomplish what he would, would in your life uh, you remember it was God who called you, and it's God who will accomplish his will in your life. Uh, you will never become perfect like Jesus Christ, spiritually or physically, until you see him face to face. Uh, it's his will that uh, we grow in the word, conform to the image of his son while we're here on earth. And God, according to his divine omnipotence, has promised to complete that work uh, that he had begun in our lives. God's plan for believers was predetermined. Now, got to not be confused by these words, uh, predestinated or predetermined and, and so forth. He didn't, uh, uh, I said his plan was predetermined. He did not predetermine whether you would be saved. I think he knows that because he's omnipotent. But uh, that was a decision you had to make. You had to make that decision. But if you made that decision and you trusted Christ, you will never face condemnation. You can rest in the promise of eternal life and focus on the purpose of conforming your life to the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's a sad thing when a person uh, does get saved, but then they worry day after day over day. Did I get saved? Did I get saved? Did I get saved? We're not to continually worry about our salvation, but we're to accept that salvation as fact and then go on to be conformed to his image. And I hope that uh, makes sense because uh, what we need to do is... Uh, First of all, become like Christ spiritually. Now, in heaven, God will sanctify us in the image of Christ. We will experience spiritual conformity, completely uh, set apart by the will of God. And so our sin nature uh, in heaven will no longer hinder us. And we'll live in perfect obedience and compliance to God's righteousness. We will be like him. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for he shall see, we shall see him as he is. So the first uh, aspect of being conformed to the image of Christ is to become like Christ spiritually, and then to become like uh, Christ bodily. Uh, when we see Jesus, we'll be in his likeness. We'll have a resurrected body that 
uh, feels no pain or wickedness. Uh, the trials that we endure on this earth will seem small to us in eternity. Uh, the cancer that plagues many, the physical limitations of others, will be changed into a glorified body for all of eternity. Uh, we'll be completely whole, physically and spiritually. A little girl asked her grandpa, did God make you? And he, uh, he said, he sure did. Well, for several minutes, she studied her grandpa's features, and then she caught a glimpse of herself in the mirror, and at last she said, you know, Grandpa, God is doing a much better job lately. One day, we're going to have the best job of a new glorified body, and uh, we're going to be like Christ, not only spiritually, but bodily. And so... Uh, the first aspect is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Secondly, to make Christ preeminent. God did not save you to bring glory to yourself. He saved you so that he would be praised and magnified. That's what verse 29 is about. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of God, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now God was saying, I'm going to make you like I am. So, you're, in becoming like me, you will finally realize that I am the firstborn among many brethren. That term firstborn uh, was used in Jewish culture to speak about preeminence or to depict a privileged status. God is perfect in his attributes and is sacrificial. He's sacrificial in his love. Uh, he deserves preeminence in our lives. Colossians 1 and uh, verse 18 and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. Someday, uh, and someday soon, no doubt, we will gather around Jesus in heaven, and we're going to sing his praises, and he's going to have preeminence, and we'll finally understand God's fulfilled purpose in conforming us to Christ's image. Uh, we will no longer experience the heartache of sin or the pain of sickness. And for the first time, we'll be completely like Jesus Christ, and he will be on high. He'll be lifted up on the heavenly throne. So that's the purpose of salvation. Secondly, the plan of salvation. And I want you to notice, first of all, he predetermined our destiny. Now again, don't be confused with these words here. Uh, God's plan for salvation was based on his foreknowledge in eternity past. Verse 29 says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. The word foreknow is based on the word uh, that means to know ahead. Uh, the Bible teaches us that God is omniscient, he's all-knowing, and in his prov providence he sees all things ahead of time. Uh, no one can fathom the omniscience of God or comprehend his knowledge. God provided a plan of salvation for all people. He saw down through the ages, and he predetermined an everlasting life in heaven for those who would accept his son. And God beheld your faith in advance of your life. J Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. I think it's a humbling thing to recognize that God loved you and provided you with a plan of redemption even before your birth. He knew every sin you would commit and all the shortcomings and the failures, yet he still loved you. 
Ephesians 1.11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the things after the counsel of his will. Again, that word predestinate deals with God predetermining us to conform to his image. He predetermined what a believer should, uh, should happen in a believer's life, that we should be conformed to his image. In other words, God already knows your destiny. He wants you to live for him and to become conformed to the image of his son. Uh, he didn't predestinate you to be saved, or he didn't predetermine you to be saved, but if you trust Christ, he planned how you should live. And that's, the, the, that's the thing we need to understand about that, those words. And because your destiny was predetermined, you have the assurance that all things work together for good. But God does not make mistakes. And as uh, you understand this doctrine, you will not question God's goodness during even difficult days and times of trial. You'll not turn back on your faith when adversity comes into your life. And so God not only predetermines our destiny, but he calls us to his destiny. God desires you accept him as your Savior and conform your life to the image of a son. Then in verse 30, he says, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, him, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. And so God invites men and women, boys and girls today, to accept his gift of eternal life. And when you uh, felt the conviction uh, of God, the Holy Spirit in your life, to repent of your sin, uh, God uh, uh, helped you to understand uh, what salvation is about. 2 Timothy 1.5 says, Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. I think it's comforting to know that God had a predetermined plan for our lives. And what good would that plan have accomplished if he not also called us to fulfill his will? The fact that he calls indicates that you must answer. Now, does everybody answer? No. But God calls. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we exercise our will when we trust Christ as our Savior. Sometimes it's hard to comprehend maybe the balancing point between God's predetermined will and man's free will. And yet we simply need to understand that this side of heaven, God is calling us and we have a responsibility to respond to that call. And God predetermined our destiny and called us to his destiny. And thirdly, he paid for our destiny. And he did that by shedding his blood for our sins. John 3.18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten of the Son of God. So God has given man a choice, that whosoever will, will may come. Uh, that doesn't limit atonement, as some would say, but it limits, uh, a man limits atonement by rejecting God. Second uh, uh, Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is longsuffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
Now, if we go back to Romans chapter 3, verse 24, it says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be the propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. You know, balancing a checkbook can be one of the most frustrating things in life. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Uh, that's why in some families, uh, the one who's least frustrated takes care of that, okay? <laughs> well, it may be the wife or it may be the husband. It just depends on who uh, is least frustrated by it, I guess. But sometimes it may take uh, uh, some folks several hours. I know I've, I've poured over a bank book uh, and said, where in the world did I make the mistake? Where, why does it this come out? And so, uh, you know, as difficult as it can be, once the account is made right, then you breathe a sigh of relief and you say, wow, that's great. I'm sure glad I got that taken care of. So spiritual justification refers to someone being made right with God. You are justified, and that leads us to the fourth point, and that is he declares our destiny. You're justified, you're declared righteous the day you accept Christ as your Savior. Uh, you, uh, God saw your sin, and he said, you know, that's not right. And therefore, he sacrificed his son on the cross and complete payment for your salvation. And your spiritual account was not only made right, it was settled for all of eternity on that day. And God's perspective is not limited. He sees from the beginning to the end. And those of us who have been justified are glorified people in God's eyes. Our position is secure in heaven. And God says, it is done. That's confirmed with uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17 and 18. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so God speaks of our glorification. He's referring to our eternal state as, a, as his children. And how wonderful it is to know that our destiny is settled forever with our Savior. And then thirdly, notice the priority of sanctification. God's purpose for you and me is to be conformed to his image, to become more like Christ. And that thought leads us to ask, well, does God want my life to reflect him now, or is that something that takes place when I get to heaven? Am I to respond to trials and difficult circumstances like the rest of the world does? Wringing my hands and saying, oh me, oh my, what am I going to do now? Or does God have an ongoing growth process for my life right now so that I can face uh, these things even now? You go back to verse 9 of uh, uh, Romans 8. And you notice there, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is not of his. And then go down to verse 14. But as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And so we're told here, the Holy Spirit indwells all Christians. 
God's not interested in our uh, only interested in our ultimate glorification. He's interested in our cur current sanctification. And that's an ongoing work of the Spirit, whereby he leads us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Holy Spirit took residence in our hearts on the day of our salvation. He guides us in the process of becoming more like Christ. And then the Holy Spirit changes people from the inside out. Uh, you must realize that becoming like Christ is progressive. Uh, you do not automatically become godly the day that you accept Christ. Uh, rules and standards sometimes may be necessary, but they're just uh, tools for change. They're just to help you become uh, uh, more like Christ. I suppose we're sometimes, some people would say we're a little more relaxed than uh, some churches, although I do appreciate the fact that it, it hasn't been necessary to make a lot of rules. Uh, you know, some churches would require their ushers to wear a suit and tie. Uh, I don't know if I could get our ushers to do that all the time. Uh, some of them may not even have a tie. Uh, so, uh, but I'm thankful that most of the part, uh, people that serve in our church dress, uh, don't dress like they're going to Walmart anyway. You know, I haven't seen anybody come to church in their pajamas. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, sometimes though, uh, we need to realize that uh, uh, when we look nice on the outside, and we live uh, good in the in, inside, uh, we will, uh, we will s uh, see uh, the change uh, coming in our lives. Now, someone can look good on the outside, but they can live wickedly and immorally in the inside. Uh, we understand that. And as a pastor, I can't legislate morality. I can't change someone from the outside. And because, what? Sin is a matter of the heart. Uh, in verse 13 uh, here, uh, it says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed. Uh, I went too far back. Uh, it didn't sound right here. Verse 13, For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if through the Spirit you do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Holy Spirit desires a change in your life. He wants you to work in your heart from the inside out. The question is, do you trust God enough to allow him to work in your heart? So, what is the tool of the Holy Spirit? Well, the tool of the Holy Spirit is the Word of God. He has a wonderful purpose for your salvation. He planned from eternity to conform you to the image of Christ. And that's why we've spent many, many weeks and even months now talking about making biblical choices based upon Bible principles in our Sunday school class. Uh, allowing ourselves to be conformed to his image instead of the image of the world. Paul says in Romans 12 too, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so God's purpose for salvation, I believe, is clear. He wants you to become like Jesus, like his son. 
As you allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to work in your heart, you'll experience spiritual sanctification. Now, in Ephesians 4.13, it says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, that is, a mature man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. See, becoming like Christ begins with understanding his purpose for saving us. Sure, he desires to give you a home in heaven, and that's one of the things we really look for. But see, it's more than that. Salvation is much more this than a, a home in heaven. He wants to change us, to grow us, to mature us in his grace. And only God's grace can accomplish the miraculous process that uh, we will study in, even in the coming weeks, the Lord willing, as we yield to his power, uh, your life will be different for his glory. That's what God means when he encourages us to abide in Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again for the privilege that is ours to open the word of God and just to uh, learn what your desire is for our lives. Uh, thank you for these verses that encourage us to, uh, to live for you and live according to your purpose in our lives. We pray your blessing upon this lesson to our hearts tonight and bless our time in prayer, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.